0: Hello and welcome to A Novel Process, the podcast about what it's really like to write a book. My name is Mae Jasper. Okay gang, this is episode five of the podcast where I am writing a novel and every fortnight I make an episode to tell you guys how it's going. This episode I want to tell you about a research trip that I took in the last fortnight. Being able to go on research trips is one of the ridiculous luxuries of writing things, you know, being able to justify just basically going on holiday. In this case, I was going to some limestone caves in Buchan, which is in Gippsland in Victoria. Basically, the the initial idea was that I just wanted to get kind of a sense memory for what being in a cave is actually like. I realised when I was trying to kind of picture it for the, the aliens in the book Who Lives in Caves, as you remember, I was having trouble, yeah, having a real sense of it, trying to describe it more than just saying it's kind of cold and rocky. But the trouble is that these limestone caves are about four hours' drive away from where I live, and I don't have a car. So, luckily, I have my friend Alia who is an incredibly clever and creative friend of mine, who also owns a car and was looking for a chance to get out of town. So win-win. One Friday, we set off on a road trip to Bucket. And, you know, we're wandering along, we stop off, we get some petrol, we get some roadside snacks, and there's a mild lull in the conversation, and Alia makes the ultimate mistake – at the moment of asking me how the book's going while at the same time being the definition of a captive audience. So I just launch into it. And I start by telling her about what was my, at the time, my kind of big win for that period, which is that I had worked out how I felt like the alien technology was going to work. Now, the aliens, you will remember, are bioluminescent humanoid salamanders, that live in caves on the side of ocean trenches, in this case specifically an ocean trench near the western coast of Victoria and specifically near a small coastal town called Malunda Bay. The aliens are telepathic, so we don't have to spend big chunks of time teaching them how to speak English, which I wouldn't have fun doing in the book, and their technology is made out of biological material. So anyway, the, the technology was the thing that I started telling Alia about. And I was telling her how I had decided that it was going to be a case of the biological material combining with crystals. And crystals form from a solution. Like normally there is it's like water and whatever the element is that's going to form the crystal. Like if you're forming salt crystals, it's salt water and the salt dries out, and the salt molecules form into these crystals. But the way I wanted the alien technology to work was that you would have, some kind of element, some kind of molecule that the aliens have access to, that when you put into a solution and allow to form a crystal, it forms a long, straight, regular crystal, like a a, a stick or a rod of basically rock or crystal material. And that one of the properties of this particular element or molecule was that if in that solution you also included some cells from biological material, like, for example, say, muscle cells, you could put those into the solution, and the crystal that would form would again be a long, thin kind of rod or stick, but because the cells would be incorporated into the crystal. And by being in the crystal, it would still be a very regular formation. The crystals would preserve the cells so they don't rot or degrade in any way, like regular cells and, and like meat would but the cells retain the abilities that they had when they were part of a living organism so our crystal that we formed out of muscle cells retains the ability to kind of stretch and contract and all the things that muscles can do and equally if you were to use brain cells in the solution instead of muscle cells then you can it's it's a bit like 3d printing right you can print out a string or a a rod, a flexible rod, of brain cells. And if we call them strings, that's even better because let's imagine that we print out a string of brain cells and a bunch of strings of muscle cells, and we kind of weave them together into a rope. We have these telepathic aliens, right? And they can connect with the brain cells in this rope, and tell the brain cells to tell the muscle cells to contract, and you can pull the rope with your brain. That was my big thing. That was how I wanted the alien technology to work, and I thought it was really cool, and I spent a lot more time, frankly, than we just spent explaining that to Alia. (laughs) And one of the things I was telling Alia that is cool about this or is interesting about this is that it has a limitation. These kind of machines really need an operator. I mean, because what we're basically building there is is a, a muscle that I can connect with, with my brain and uh, cause it to contract in the same way that I do the muscles in my own body. And let's say I want to tell my muscles in my body to do a push-up, something that they very rarely do, but let's say that happens. I can consciously tell that muscle to do a push-up, or once I've started, I could potentially unconsciously continue doing the push-up while I'm thinking about something else, like what I'm going to have for dinner or whatever. But I can't do a push-up. I can't start doing push-ups and then fall asleep and have my body continue to do them. There needs to be an operator (laughs) telling my muscles to keep doing things. And, And so these machines that we make for the aliens, they always need to have operators. And that's not like a terrible problem that's not like a a huge limitation but it has like weird knock-on effects like you can't really make like an electronic clock out of this right you can't make any kind of machine that has to keep going while you're not there something that keeps telling time while you're not present is is going to be tricky or i mean the the main thing that was worrying me was spaceships the aliens presumably have made a spaceship out of their technology, and traveling through space, they would have to spend some time in hibernation, is how I had been picturing it. Like these aliens that, again, you will remember, are cold-blooded and so don't deal well with cold temperatures. My thinking was, okay, they go into space, it's cold, so they hibernate while it's cold, and that's how they can kind of wait out the huge, long journeys in space. But if everybody's hibernating, if it's so cold that all the aliens are hibernating, then how is the ship still moving? Yeah, without like an autopilot. I don't know how to make an autopilot out of this technology. And luckily, I, as I said to Alia, I don't really have to worry about that because the book is not really about space travel. The book is about aliens who are already on Earth. So if we don't bring it up, it's probably not going to be a big deal. So I get to the end of my big long rant and Alia asks some intelligent questions about the crystallisation process and I answered them and she nodded and the conversation topic naturally comes to a close and there's an opportunity for me to introduce a new topic, perhaps something that gives Alia a greater opportunity to participate in the conversation. But instead, uh, because I'm a monomaniacal lunatic at the moment, I kept right on talking about the book. So I said... Yeah, so I, I think the tech stuff is starting to work well, but there's some, like, economic stuff that I, I still can't make sense of. And Alia says, economic stuff. Yeah, I said, or, like, um like geography or something. Like, okay, I want to have the aliens living in a cave in the side of an ocean trench near the western coast of Victoria, specifically near a small coastal town called Melinda Bay. Sure, says Alia, I, I remember all that. Yeah, and... I want them to live there because it's cold and the aliens are warm-blooded. So they can't survive well in cold environments, so when they come out of the cave and onto land, it's like a problem for them to overcome. But then, like, why would they choose to live somewhere where they would be uncomfortable? They'd be better off living near the equator. So to solve that problem, I decided the aliens were farming Zykoft. Zykoft? Said yeah, Zykov, it's the crystal that grows on the alien's home planet, and when triggered by light, it produces heat and oxygen. It's how they heat their caves to their preferred ambient temperature, which is like 60 degrees Celsius. But on Earth, we don't need Zykov to keep warm. It's a fuel that produces heat and doesn't emit carbon dioxide. So it's like an alternative energy source. And the thing I decided was that the aliens were shipping it all over the world, and that's why they would need to be near Melinda Bay, because... Melinda Bay has a deep port, shipping port. Okay, says Alia. So what's the problem? Right, so why are the aliens giving us Zykoft? Is it like rent? Are they paying for the use of their cave with Zykoft? And if so, what are we going to do if they don't pay? The cave is hundreds of metres below the surface of the ocean. It's a high-pressure environment full of water and extreme heat. Humans can't survive in the cave, let alone evict somebody from one. It's it's kind of weird. Okay, says Alia, maybe they're selling us the Zykoft? Maybe, I said, but how are we going to pay them? In money? They live in a cave, what are they going to do with money? Nah, said Alia, we should pay them in biological material. Okay, I said. Like, maybe their spaceship is damaged, said Alia. And and they need a lot of biological material to fix it. Huh, I said. I mean, Western Victoria does have a lot of sheep farming. Right, said Alia, so uh, we give them hundreds of sheep carcasses, and they give us psychoft. Okay, I said. That's, that's, like, weird. I like it. But I don't know if I want them to be repairing the spaceship, because then they might have to repair the autopilot and i don't even know how that works no 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 said alia that's the best bit because like okay the autopilot is just going to be like a collection of brain cells right i mean i guess i said but but then she cut me off but special brain cells yeah special capable of remembering and executing a complicated series of tasks over a long period of time brain cells that are capable of learning That's what you need. Okay, I said. So, said Alia, they're getting all these sheep carcasses, but the sheep brains are not going to cut it. Sheep are not good at learning. But you know who is, though? Oh, my God, I said. They need human brains. They need human brains, said Alia. And that ladies and gentlemen is why you don't write a book by yourself yeah <laughs> i mean there are sections of writing a book as it turns out that you need to do by yourself like the bits where you stare helplessly at walls or beat your head against the keyboard in frustration or write the actual sentences that are going to end up in the actual novel which i haven't tried yet but uh, you know i think is probably gonna be fun when i get to it i mean there yeah, there is stuff that you have to do by yourself but in the planning stages It is so easy to get yourself into these ruts and just not see any way out of it because, you know, your brain works in a certain way and so you just keep going down the same groove. And it's amazing how quickly someone who doesn't live in your head and doesn't have your brain can have insights that just jerk you straight out of the rut, just like that. Now, the engaged listener will have noticed that the book that Alia and I were just discussing... It doesn't sound a lot like a gentle, small-town sitcom. And it's true. I think, unfortunately, that this book is evolving, that the premise episode, episode one, I think is going to be out of date really quite quickly. We seem to be heading more in kind of a horror direction. There's There's a lot more Frankenstein in here than I would have first predicted. And that makes me pretty excited. And I was even more excited when we actually got to the cave. Yeah, the cave that we were driving to. (laughs) As I say, I hadn't been in a cave in a long time. Not one with like stalagmites and stalactites and everything. And seeing it that day, after spending four hours in a car talking to Alia about making machines out of basically meat, the thing that struck me was this cave. It looked like a goddamn butcher shop. Everything in there looked incredibly organic and squidgy. There were patches of floor covered in tiny holes formed by thousands of years of water droplets, and the whole floor just looked like a big slab of pancreas. There were these thin sheets of crystal banded with different levels of oxides from the dirt above, and they just looked like slices of bacon. It was amazing. And and the stalactites and stalagmites, they're formed when water runs through limestone or calcium carbonate, and when the water dissolves the stone, it picks up tiny amounts of calcium and deposits it into the formations. So stalagmites and stalactites are literally made out of calcium. It is no wonder that they look like bones. Basically, what I'm learning is that when you're writing a book, you need input. Yeah? Stuff coming in from the outside to interrupt or recontextualize the swirling thoughts in your own brain. Sometimes that means taking a research trip to a limestone cave to see if it looks like a butcher shop. And sometimes that means just talking things through with a friend or or multiple friends. In the period after the research trip, what I started doing was just setting up a series of meetings with my friends (laughs) to talk about stuff. And as a result, I have this idea is just growing all the time. And I feel like I've got a huge amount more material and a greater understanding of what about the book works. It's really exciting and fabulous. So with this insight in mind, we are now going to make a little change in our process here at A Novel Process. From now on, if you're listening to one of these episodes and you suddenly think of a question you want to ask me or you want to make a suggestion or object to something that I'm saying, if you have an input of any kind, please tell me about it. On one of the Victorian Theatre socials. You can find links to all of them at the website, it's victoriantheatre.org. And you just need to make sure you use the hashtag a novel process and we'll find it. Your input might end up in a future mailbag episode of the podcast, or it might even end up in the book. Man, who knows. Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about for the last two weeks. I'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, again, the place to leave inputs or just to keep up to date with a novel process is on the Victorian Theatre Company socials or at the website, victoriantheatre.org. Have a good one.